I want to thank Mike Smith for uh, his effort and his passion and for everything he brought to the Bucks. And uh, he's, he's a really good football coach, and uh, it's an unfortunate part of, a part of this. But, uh, you know, we're going to move forward and get ready for Cleveland starting right after this. What's up and welcome back to the Locked On Bucks podcast. I'm James Yarko, joined as usual by David Harrison. You can find everything that we're doing over at BucksNation.com and make sure you follow along on Twitter at Locked On Bucks, at JayYarko underscore Bucks, and at DH82 underscore Bucks. You, of course, just heard the voice of head coach Dirk Cutter talking about his decision to dismiss defensive coordinator Mike Smith. And David, you and I talked about it. Uh, heading into the buy that we set our piece. We weren't going to bring it up anymore unless something happened that warranted reopening the discussion. And shockingly, that door has been opened up for us. Yeah, I said um, after Cutter's last press conference when he said, what is what is firing the defensive coordinator do? Uh, I got a little animated and a little irritated and I said exactly what it does it, it shows your players that you're going to try anything to not lose this season that you are willing to make changes even out of desperation to try to turn things around and that's exactly what Dirk Cutter has done and and David you mentioned yesterday uh the the kind of open letter uh, you know, suggestion box style uh, survey that these players took. And I wonder if, if maybe some of the players, especially if it was anonymous, were able to express the fact that they don't believe in Mike Smith. They don't believe in his system. They don't believe that they were going to have any success under him. And maybe, you know, this was Cutter's way of saying, you know what, if we can, if we can play well defensively and, and get a win in Atlanta, then maybe these guys will have a rejuvenated uh, belief in what Mike Smith is doing, and if not, then he's going to have to be shown the door. But he's replaced by linebackers coach Mark Duffner, and here we go. I mean, Cutters, Cutters out of ammo. He's he's turned his own play calling over to Munkin. He has now fired his his friend and his defense coordinator Mike Smith. It all falls on him, and if this season continues to unravel, he's the next out the door. Yeah, I remember. Uh... It kind of took me back to when Rex Ryan fired. I can't remember who he fired specifically, but he fired one of his coordinators in Buffalo. Um, and, and that situation, though, was, if I remember correctly, it was kind of weird because it, it was like he fired the wrong coordinator. Uh, like he fired the coordinator on the side of the ball that was actually having some success, which isn't the case here. But and, and when that happened, everybody, you know, the, the same commentary came out is when when a head coach starts firing his coordinators, it's kind of like his last ditch effort to save his own job, and you know. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna knock uh, Coach Cutter for that. He he said before the buy, it's a business, and it's how he makes his living, and it's how they all make his living. And you know, if he's got a choice between continuing to make his own living and protecting the living of somebody else at his own peril, then you know, I, I think a lot of people would make that choice. But bottom line is, no matter what the motivation was, it was it was obvious, you know, from from Chicago and even before that 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 a change had to happen, whether it be internal or external, and. You know, whatever comments came from that open letter or comment box, you know, scenario that they had heading into the buy. I think it was fair. You know, if you're if you're going to take that tactic with the team to kind of have an open forum to give your thoughts and give your comments and give your critique and, and all that about uh, whether it be a coach or a scheme or, or whatever, it, it's fair to give them a shot 
to to write that, you know, to to address those thoughts and and take them to heart and and show something from it. But you know, apparently, it just wasn't enough. Honestly, I'm I'm kind of surprised that he got fired after the Falcons game. Not that the defense looked all that great, but they they definitely looked better in the second half. I know we we've, we've sang this you know the same song before where they looked better in the second half than they did in the first. But I don't know. Just just uh, I figured after surviving Chicago, it would have to take another similar type performance to to actually have you know the the axe fall. But a lot of speculation, you know. Um, I'm not going to get into it on here because that's not what we're here for is wild speculation, but obviously not a move coach cutter wanted to make, but a move that he had to make for whatever reason, you know, that happened behind the doors. Like he said, in the press conference, things that he and Jason talked about, things that he and Mike talked about, things that he and coach Duffner talked about, not things that he's going to divulge to the public, which I wouldn't expect him to anyway. So either way, you know, we're moving on and hopefully it's, it's for the best because, I mean, like like everybody's pretty much been saying, it, it can't get much worse. Yeah, well, and and Cutter was asked if he was the you know the person that decided to fire Mike Smith, and he said yes. Yeah, he he took that upon himself. My question is: is it is it too little, too late? Are we looking at a team now that five games in at two and three are now going to have a? One would assume they're going to have some sort of shift in defensive philosophy because it doesn't make any sense to fire a coordinator and then continue to do the same things under another coordinator who's been under this system. So, you know, my question is, you know, how how much can the defense truly change? We know that there's talent on that side of the ball. But is it too late in the season now to be able to really write the ship enough to even get them to average in order to help propel this team into the postseason, because we've we've seen the numbers, we've seen how these other teams have performed. If if this offense has even an average defense, there's no doubt they're making the playoffs. So, mm-hmm. you know how how much can possibly change now at this point? That's why you know, you and I said that if the change was going to happen, it should have happened at the bye week, so at least they had a little bit of extra time to work on it. But I mean, are we really going to see that that big of a change under Duffner? I don't know. Um, I think the the health of Carlton Davis has a lot to play with that because Ryan Smith is, you know, he's hot one week, he's cold the next, more cold than he is hot. So, you know, the, the, the ability for a defense coordinator to dial up blitzes comes from how confident he is in the secondary. And if he's not confident in the secondary's ability to maintain coverage for at least three to five seconds uh, out in the open field, then, you know, that's going to hinder his ability to call blitzes. I actually went back and I... I this isn't supposed to be, you know, like an in-depth scouting report or anything like that because uh, it's it's been so long since anybody has seen Duffner run in defense. But I did go back just out of kind of curiosity. I went back to some 2001 uh, game footage that I found on YouTube, and it was actually the Bengals playing the Buccaneers uh, in, in that game. And I will tell you that that defense blitzed a lot more than we've seen our defense blitz. And that secondary played a lot more aggressive, uh, much more tighter in, 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 the, in the secondary than than we've seen from the Buccaneers defense. And in some in some facets, in some ways, it's the the willingness of, of Duffner's defense back then, 17 years ago, right? So again, take all of this with a gigantic grain of salt. So much has changed in the NFL since the last time we saw Coach Duffner fill this role in, in an NFL system that you can't, you can't say that this is what's what we're going to see, but just kind of looking at it from a mentality standpoint, it was almost like he had this this thought process that he was going to force the offense to play with fewer weapons on the field because he was going to bring so many linebackers 
and so many pass rushers that the opposing offense really didn't have much of a choice other than to add protection to their own line, which obviously the more protection you keep takes more more receivers off the field. And when you do that, your 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 secondary has less to, to worry about, even whether in your zone or your man coverage. So it kind of simplifies things in that way. However, as as is in every aggressive scheme, if your pass rush doesn't get home to the quarterback, it's it's all for nothing because at the same time, while you have fewer receivers on the field, you've also got fewer defensive backs, you've got fewer guys in coverage. So it's gonna be easier for those receivers to come uncovered. And if you know if that opposing quarterback is not threatened by the blitz or by the pass rush, then it's not going to matter. Uh, so again, all for, you know, all for just just kind of a, a curiosity thing. I actually put it in my my hard count uh, coming out tomorrow or, or Wednesday, or today or Wednesday rather. But that's I mean that's really the best you know marker we can get. There's really no way to know exactly what we're going to see. But like you said, I don't I don't think Coach Duffer can come into this this experience and say, okay, I'm just going to try to replicate what Mike Smith was doing and get these guys to do it better because I think Mike Smith spent his entire time in Tampa getting, trying to get these guys to do it better. So that's not going to work. The only, you can't get more passive. So the only, uh, the only option really is to get more aggressive and, you know, I don't know. We might see an offense next week against a rookie quarterback who, or a defense rather against a rookie quarterback that is even willing to accept a couple penalties here and there, you know, to, to try to get in these receivers minds. You've got Jarvis Landry out there and Jarvis, as great of a player as he is, he can get frustrated very easily and you you can get into his head. Sometimes getting into his head turns against you, <laughs> but other times getting into his head will will benefit you. So being more physical, you know, having your having your secondary play a little bit more aggressive is is something that we'll we'll hopefully see. And you know, it'll it'll be time to find out if if uh, this defense truly has the horses, because that's what we've all been saying is the defense has the players, they're just not being used properly. Well, if we see a shift in the way they're being used and it still doesn't work. Then I mean, after that, you can only you only have one more thing to start questioning, and that's the players. Yeah, and I'm I'm not gonna read too much into the Bengals' record when Duffner was their defensive coordinator. I mean, that was an offense that was at, in, in absolute shambles. They were being led by John Kitna. Oh, terrible. Who, it, it was, so the only weapon that that offense had was Corey Dillon. Um, yeah. You know, so, and before yeah, we move on, real quick, uh, you you mentioned it right, and I, and I wanted to say this, but I got off track. You, you mentioned, right, if this offense, if this 2018 Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense had an average defense, then they could do wonders. And I agree, and I think everybody agrees. The Cincinnati Bengals in 2001, again, gigantic grain of salt, got it. But it just so happens the Cincinnati Bengals were 14th in the league in up, uh, opposing scoring, opposing team scoring, which is about average, right? 31 teams in the league at that point, 14 is right there near the middle. They were also, uh, I want to say 12th, if memory serves correctly, and passing yards allowed. Again, different passing league or different type of league back then, a lot more passing now. The rules are a little bit different. But you're talking about a, a defensive coordinator that was able to get a defense in his day and age to about be to be about average. And like you said, if 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 that defense, right, that's kind of a flip-flop situation, if that 2001 Bengals defense had an even average offense, that team probably makes the playoffs. But the Bengals had the worst offense in 2001. And so they went, I think they went six and 10 and missed the playoffs. Yeah. Just, just give me a defense that ranks somewhere between 12 and 20, just somewhere in there and just, just get out of dead last because it's just, it's, it's so bad. It's just so bad. Even 20, honestly, even 20 in this team is probably three and two at worst. Yeah, absolutely. I I agree a hundred percent. So 
Only time will tell, but you know, this is something that, that people have been screaming for, people have been asking for, and, and you know what the old saying is, you know, be careful what you wish for, you just might get it. So we're gonna see if if maybe a shift in philosophy and, and if Duffner's a little more aggressive, if we're gonna see a a change in this Buccaneers team. And I guess it doesn't hurt to be facing a rookie quarterback in the first game, you know, in doing so, but Baker Mayfield's an impressive, he's an impressive rookie quarterback. Uh, you know, I, as, as we were talking about with, with Scott on Friday, you know, I like him a lot. Scott likes him a lot. Um, he's a fun guy to watch. So it, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But before we move on, of course, we have to talk about our friends over at my bookie, because chances are, if you were able to place a bet on whether or not Mike Smith was going to be fired within the 2018 season, you would have been able to do it over at my bookie. Remember who you're betting on is just as important as who you're betting with. That's why we always tell people to bet with my bookie. Trust me, they are your best bet this season. They've been in business for years, have great reviews online, and their mobile site is insanely easy to use. We would only recommend a service to our listeners that have been good to us. That's why we urge everyone to make their way to my bookie. You win. They pay. They have in-game live betting, over-unders on fantasy points scored, and the most rewarding player perks in the business. And right now, they are slammed with new bettors. They want to give everyone the best service they possibly can. So if you're willing to wait until after 7 p.m. Eastern time, they are going to give you an additional $25 free play on deposits over $100. Not only that, but they're going to match your initial deposit dollar for dollar. All you have to do is use promo code LOCKEDON25. Visit MyBookie online today. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E. And don't forget to use promo code LOCKEDON25, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, number two, number five, when creating your account to claim your free play and your dollar-for-dollar bonus. You play, you win, you get paid. David, before all this Mike Smith stuff popped up, uh, we we talked about in yesterday's episode, and we were taking some reactionary voicemails that we promised we were going to get to Grico's uh, voicemail because we could fill an entire episode talking about Jameis Winston. So unfortunately, we can't fill an entire episode about it today because we had to cover the the Mike Smith firing. But why don't we go ahead and listen to what our good buddy Grico Suave has to say. Hey guys, it's Greco Suave from South Carolina, at Greco Suave, just a few minutes after the game finished. I'm looking online, and I've got people out there already saying, Jameis Winston sucks, Jameis Winston sucks. I don't know what people expect. He helped bring us back. Yes, he had two interceptions, but I mean, does he suck because he didn't have five touchdowns? I don't know what the argument is. The team looked better but we still got a lot of problems. I don't know how to put this Jameis Winston discussion to rest. I felt like this was a game we should have won, even on defense. I'm a little bit disgusted because we lost the way we did. I don't know what to say. D-Jax, D-Jax was pissed. He should have had that. Anyway, let's end this Jameis Winston discussion about him being sorry. He did everything he could. Thanks, guys. Go Bucks. All right, Greco. Thanks for, uh, thanks for the voicemail. Much appreciated. Here's the thing about Jameis Winston, Okay. And it's something that I kind of talked about in, in David in our in our Bucks Nation group chat. This debate will never end. This discussion will never end because there are people out there, despite what Jameis does, that want him off the team, whether they hated him because he went to Florida State or they hate him because of allegations against him or they hate him because he did the E to W um, you know, pregame stuff. They just don't like the way he plays. They think that he, you know, 
turns the ball over too much, whatever the case is, the people that don't like Jameis Winston and want him off the team have their their feet planted firmly and they will not change their mind. I said in the group chat, I'm I'm done defending Gerald McCoy. I'm done. And it's not because I'm anti Gerald McCoy. It's because the people that don't like Gerald McCoy and they say he's too nice or he's soft or where's the big play or they want him to be, you know, Warren Sapp, which he never was, never was going to be, never will be. He's a different type of player. Those people that hate him will not change their mind. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what you can prove. They're not going to change their mind. All that said, anybody saying that the, the loss to the Falcons was on Jameis Winston is absolutely certifiably insane. And I, I saw, you know, local media talking about how his turnovers were the reason they lost. No, his turnovers were not the reason they lost. And, and you go back to week three against the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Bucks turned the ball over four times in the first half, four times, three of those times were Fitzpatrick. The Bucks almost come back and win. And what happened? What happened after that game? Well, this interception wasn't on Fitz. This interception wasn't on Fitz. This one might have been. We're not sure. It was an option route. One guy saw one thing. One guy saw another. That's not on Fitz. That's not on Fitz. Okay, so why is it okay to make all these excuses for Fitzpatrick's turnovers, but when Jameis turns the ball over, despite throwing for 395 yards and four touchdowns and completing 73% of his passes, 73%. But he has those two turnovers, one of which you could argue was his fault, the other of which Greg Allman pointed out on Twitter on Monday that Deshaun Jackson was held 12 yards off the line of scrimmage and there was no holding penalty against the defense. Otherwise, he's in position to make that catch and it's not intercepted, but oh no, oh no, we're going to blame Jameis. What it boils down to is people like Jameis or they don't like Jameis or they're so enthralled in their fantasy teams that they don't see Mike Evans put up 102 touchdowns and they don't see Deshaun put up 75 and a touchdown. They see all these passes going to Humphreys and Brait and OJ and Godwin and Freddie Martino and Anthony Auclair. And they're like, well, Jameis sucks. I didn't get my fantasy points. Jameis sucks. That's not how this works. Jameis spread the ball around more than Fitzpatrick ever did. Because Jameis has trust in certain receivers. Ryan Fitzpatrick doesn't have a rapport with Adam Humphreys. Ryan Fitzpatrick doesn't have a rapport with Cameron Brake. He targeted his top two guys. He sprinkled in a little bit of Godwin and Howard, and he made magic happen. But the offense was efficient. The offense scored enough points to win if it had a semi-competent defense. Somebody pointed out on Twitter, and and after this, I'll kick it over to you, David, because I don't want to monopolize all the time. I just stuff really gets under my skin. (laughs) It doesn't matter if you want to take ESPN's QBR or if you want to take the traditional quarterback rating. Both of them are pretty much along the same lines, the same principles of a way to gauge a quarterback. So somebody, uh, Lewis Tack, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. It's at Lewis, L-O-U-I-S-P-T-A-C-K on Twitter. He pointed out various NFL quarterbacks' top 13 QBR performances. Okay? If you take out of all their starts, 
their top 13 QBR scores in these games. These are these players' records. Tom Brady, 13-0. Drew Brees, 13-0. Cam Newton, 13-0. Dak Prescott, 13-0. Matt Ryan, 12-1. Marcus Mariota, 11-2. Jared Goff, 11-2. Carson Wentz, 10-3. Jameis Winston, 6-7. So his top 13 passing performances, he has a losing record. How is that on him? You can isolate his individual best performances and he still has a losing record which is why we just had the opening segment that we did you can't always blame Jameis because it's not always on him again you give this team an average semi-competent defense and Jameis does enough week in and week out to win you football games so Take that for what you will, but the Jameis haters are going to continue to hate Jameis no matter what you put in front of them. Just like the McCoy haters are going to continue to hate McCoy no matter what you put in front of them. The Jason Light haters are going to hate him no matter what you put in front of him. They're going to say words like second round kicker to justify their anger and their disdain for somebody. So, Greco, my advice to you is just avoid it. You see somebody hating on Jameis, stay out of the comment section because nothing you say is going to change their mind and all it's going to do is raise your blood pressure the way mine is right now. David, what are your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the the interception in the end zone is frustrating, right? Because like you said yesterday, if that ball is eight inches higher, uh, it's a touchdown. And I went back and looked at that play uh, even before we recorded yesterday's episode just to see because I was curious to see if, uh, if if Godwin even would have come down in bounds had he caught the ball, and, and sure enough, he did. He came down in bounds. So, you know, if that ball is placed a little bit higher, then Chris Godwin feasibly, you know, could make the catch. There's no way to guarantee that he's going to make the catch. So that's the frustrating one, but it wasn't a bad decision by Jameis Winston. I, You know, yeah, Adam Humphreys was, you know, was wide open underneath, and, you know, perhaps he makes that cornerback miss. Perhaps he doesn't. Who knows at this point? But – when you have a defense that it's not just Jameis Winston, when you have a defense that you can't trust is going to keep your your opponent off the scoreboard, you have to target touchdowns. You know, there there's the old thought of you know it's touchdown or checkdown. Well, Chris Godwin against a linebacker in the back of the end zone that's a that's a plus matchup every single time you snap the ball. The ball is low. It, it, it happens. I mean, it's. Uh, I just watched before we started recording. I just watched Aaron Rodgers skip a ball to Jimmy Graham. It, quarterbacks are not going to be accurate 100 percent of the time. That one interception did not kill the game for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It didn't help, granted, but there's a lot of things that lost that game. And you know, I write the key plays every weekend. You know, I, I would much rather be what be uh, writing about why the Buccaneers won a game versus why the Buccaneers lost a game, but. I picked five plays out of out of Sunday's game that I feel like led to the reason the Buccaneers lost. One of them was that interception. One of them was the extra point that uh, Catanzaro missed. And there Can't were three others. Zara. You got to pronounce it right. Can't kick and Zara. <laughs> I'm not doing that. There were three <laughs> others that also came in there. And there were several 
honorable mentions, if you want to call it that. I mean, if I actually went through and really listed every single play that I could identify that says, this is why the Bucks lost. This is why the Bucks lost. This that would be a never, you would not, you never want to read that, that whole thing. You know what I mean? It, it would just be, be way too much. So I narrow it down to five and, and each of them kind of displays a different thing, whether it be a lack of coverage, a lack of pass rush, you know, uh, a really great play by Matt Ryan. I mean, you know, you go back and forth. I mean, again, you know, looking at that 39 that Matt Ryan converted, when have we ever seen Matt Ryan convert a 39 on his feet? It hardly ever happened. But then you think back to the Giants game uh, a couple years ago. Eli Manning did a similar thing. It happens. The the first interception, though, like you said, Sean Jackson was held for one. Look, it was second and 12, second and 13 from the 50. The Bucks offense had just watched the Falcons score three straight touchdowns on their defense. I don't, I'm not going to knock Jameis Winston for going for a home run from the 50-yard line when you've just seen your defense get run up and down the field three times. I'm not, I'm not going to do it. And if Deshaun Jackson were the type of receiver who would become a defender in that situation, maybe, uh, maybe the Falcons defender wouldn't have come down with the ball. But that's not Deshaun Jackson. You know, Same thing we talked about yesterday. If Deshaun Jackson lays out for that ball in the end zone later in the game, maybe he comes down with it. I don't recall ever seeing Deshaun Jackson lay out for a ball. It's just not something he does. And it is what it is. I mean, that those are the players we have, but they also have a lot of things that they can do that other players can't do. So you you have to take the good with the bad. And it's you know it's the same story with every player. Um, you, you have Quan Alexander and his fire and his intensity and his athleticism. You're gonna have to take some missed angles and some missed tackles with it, you know, until he he figures out how to package the whole thing together. But what I saw out of Jameis Winston on Sunday was a quarterback who was making smarter decisions. Did he, I mean, he checked down. I don't have numbers. Obviously I don't think anybody keeps track of check downs and all that, but he checked down a lot more than he usually does. He didn't check down every time, right? The second drive of the game for the Buccaneers, he tried to force the ball to Chris Godwin and double coverage on the sideline. It didn't work out. He had Deshaun Jackson wide open underneath and Jackson probably would have made it to the sticks had he got him the ball. So of course he missed some check downs. He could have checked down to Humphreys instead of throwing him in the end zone against Godwin. It's Seamus Winston, man. He still wants to score touchdowns. He's a competitor. He wants to win the game. He wants to score touchdowns. That's who he is, which is one of the reasons why we get some of the great plays that we get out of him. But you can't hang the loss simply on those two interceptions. First of all, the, the first interception is basically a punt. Okay, it's a second down punt, so it sucks, but it's basically a punt. I mean, the Falcons had the ball on the one-yard line. If if you're going to tell me that the Buccaneers – Putting the ball on the one yard line is is the reason for them losing. Then we should be blaming Brian Anger, you know, half the time this team loses because he gave the Falcons the ball. I mean, I don't, I don't know, it's crazy, but I'm with you right now. I mean, honestly, I kind of feel like there's just people who support Jameis Winston. There's people who don't support Jameis Winston and never will, and there's people who are just kind of in the middle. That's kind of where I feel like I'm at. He's my team's quarterback, so I want him to be successful because I want my team to be successful. If he never gets it together and this offense never gets it together and he can never hit the deep ball and the, and the team decides to, to move on from him, then, you know, it'll it'll suck. He'll be one more quarterback in the Buccaneers history that didn't pan out. And the next guy that gets a shot to be the franchise quarterback, he'll be the guy I support then. But I'm not going to sit here and wish ill on a player, you know, uh, at the cost of, of hoping that my own, the, you know, the team that I spend my weekends rooting for also suffers. Well, yeah, I mean, there's... Like I said, there's not there's not much else to say. People are going to have their opinion, and once they dig their heels in, it's like politics. You can talk politics all day long, but all you're going to do is make somebody dig their heels in even deeper. You're not going to change anybody's mind. Oh. So, yeah, 
my again, Greco, my my advice to you is um, just go ahead and avoid it. Don't don't talk to people. Don't don't engage in the message boards when you see somebody you know ripping Jameis up and down for for stupid stuff. Because at the end of the day, all it's going to do is is just make you mad, and and you're not going to get through to them. So. All right. Well, David, I, I do have a question for you. And and I want to know if you remember way, way long ago, back back when you were a young guy, you know, a couple couple of decades. <laughs> it's coming up on that for me too. Yeah, if you if you remember those good old days, you were at a party or, or hanging out and you know, talk, talking to a pretty girl. Maybe uh, maybe maybe you decide that uh you're you're a little bit in the mood. <laughs> doesn't doesn't happen so easily for us anymore now does it but you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed thanks to our friends at blue chew blue chew that's like the color blue bluechew.com brings you the first chewable with the same fda approved active ingredients as viagra and cialis so you know they work you can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as the pill, so you can be ready whenever the opportunity arises. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package. So no in-person doctor's visits, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than what you would get at the pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit bluechew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code, CODE. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W.com, promo code, CODE, to try it free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the Locked on Bucks podcast. Big shout out to bluechew.com. We appreciate them coming back to the Locked On Podcast Network. As for us, David, I think that's going to do it for us. We had a couple of other reactionary voicemails. We are going to play those here at the end of the show. But if you want to make sure that your voice is heard, make sure you're giving us a call at 813-444-5841. And as always, if you hear your voice on our show, you are automatically entered in to win an autographed Quan Alexander jersey at the conclusion of the Buccaneers season. As for David and I, you can check out everything that we're doing over at BucksNation.com. You can follow along on Twitter at LockedOnBucks, at JayArco underscore Bucks, and at DH82 underscore Bucks. Make sure you tune in tomorrow for our Crossover Wednesday episode, as I will be joined by Jeff Lloyd, host of the Locked on Browns podcast, to talk a little Bucks and Browns. For those of you that have uh, followed us for a little while, you remember Jeff from when we did our, a, our progressive mock draft where we had experts from each team join us and kind of guess as to who they believed their team was going to draft. So I uh, highly encourage you uh, you check that show out tomorrow because uh, Jeff, is a he's a great guy. He's a great listener and very knowledgeable about the Browns. So until then, we would like to thank each and every one of you for joining us right here at Locked on Bucks. Hey, James. Hey, David. This is Chris at TV underscore Bucks underscore for life. Just found out that Mike Smith has been relieved of his duties. Uh, this is something that had to happen. Um, Dirk finally proved 
what he was saying. It's not about relationships, it's business. And Mike Smith is not getting it done. And this is a message that needed to be sent to the players, that we will not accept mediocrity. We will not play soft anymore. We are the Buccaneers, and we're ready to win. Thank you. Out. Hey guys, just wanted to give a quick shout out to you. Uh, this is Steve at Tattoo Bowling calling you from Oregon. As far as the Mike Smith firing goes, uh, I think it, what it does is it shows that there is accountability on this team. That if you're not pulling your weight, if you're not doing your job, no one is safe. Uh, so hopefully this lights a fire under the players. Hopefully Duffner coming in lights a fire on the playbook so it's not so predictable and so vanilla. Anyway, thanks for on the podcast in Oregon, there's not much to listen to out here as far as buck coverage goes. So you guys are one of my sources to get the information. Hope you're having a good day. Okay.